the government says, as long as you're buying real property, you don't have to do this, this exchange. But that was the whole reason that section 1031 was put in the the tax code was you had enough people say, well, I just want to buy other property with, with my appreciation, with what I sold it for. Can I not do that? And just you know, kick the taxes down the road. And so they they wrote in tax deferred exchanges, section 1031, and you can do it, but you got to play their game now, which they put some, a few constraints on what a 1031 exchange looks like. You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Nathan Webb. Yes, sir. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, you know what really bruises my bananas? Tell me. Paying taxes on real estate sales. But from my understanding, you are the go-to guy for 1031 tax exchanges. And that's pretty much the only hope that us real estate investors have uh, other than depreciation. And we all understand that, but maybe there's a way that you can help us understand how we can save some money on the sale of real estate through 1031 tax exchanges. Right. I mean, that's a great point because when it comes time to cash in on all those improvements you've made to your real estate. Uncle Sam wants his cut. Um, and not only that, but typically the state you're in wants a cut too. Um, and I tell people, you know, if you're looking to sell, sell in California, you're looking at over 30% in capital gains taxes as it stands. Um, easily, easily over 30%. So other states are different. Other states are lower. But the federal capital gains tax rate is 15 to 20% today as of May, May 1st, May 2nd. That is subject to change. But yeah, it's uh, taxes are a big deal. However, as you mentioned, there is uh, a way to not do away with those taxes, but a way to defer those taxes, which is called a tax deferred exchange or a 1031 exchange. Okay. So let's back up real quick and, and break this down Barney style so us, us people like myself can understand. I sell a piece of real estate and I sell it for more than I bought it for. I've got a profit now. Yep. I can't, why, and maybe you can help me understand this. Why can't, if I'm within the same year, I've made profit. Why can't I just take that profit, invest it into another property without doing a 1031 tax exchange and then defer those taxes? Isn't it still an investment? It is, but you know, I would love to say, hey, the government says as long as you're buying real property, you don't have to do this this exchange. But that was the whole reason that section 1031 was put in the the tax code was you had enough people say, well, I just want to buy other property with with my appreciation with what I sold it for. Can I not do that? And just, you know, kick the taxes down the road. And so they they wrote in tax deferred exchanges, section 1031, and you can do it, but you got to play their game now, which they put some a few constraints on what a 1031 exchange looks like. Well, let's talk about that. So what are the constraints? Because for, for everybody out there listening right now, don't make the mistake I did and just assume that you can sell a piece of property and buy another one within the same year and think that that you can just uh, defer those taxes that way. You have to file for a 1031, right? That's we'll correct. talk about, let's talk about the timeline and like when you can file, who do you have to file with? What are the rules uh, that the IRS has in place for you to be able to exercise the 1031 tax exchange? 
Well, I like to pre-qualify people or, or help people pre-qualify themselves with, with three T's, right? You got three T's, you got title, taxes, and time, okay? okay? And that's before we even get into the 1031. Basically, what that is, is title. Your title needs to be there in whatever name or entity you're holding that property in, and it needs to be there for a set amount of time, right? Um, typically two years is a good standard that we go by. Um, I've seen it done in special cases in less time, but if you've held something for two years in the same entity or as an individual or married couple, however you, however you've held that property two years, you're good to qualify for a 1031 exchange. Now we talked about taxes with that. That has to do with both the time and the title, that entity, because some people may want to change into a new entity. They bought it as an individual, then they got married, they wanted to change title. It does matter how you're reporting those taxes. That's really what we're going to go after. So there are some pass-throughs when it comes to taxes. Like if I hold a property as an individual in my name, and then I want to put it into a single member LLC, that's pass-through. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to hold it for another two years changing it to the LLC, but you got that two year where it just needs to be the same property reporting the same taxes for two years and it's eligible for a 1031. So what if there's multiple people involved? It's fine. It depends on how that entity is held. So for example, you have it in a partnership, an LLC, and it's it's you and another investment partner, or even five investment partners. As long as everybody wants to do an exchange, they all agree to it and the entity, it's fine. The whole entity sells the property, the whole entity buys another property. So you you have to, if there are five guys involved, all sell and all buy the next property together? Or can you individually go buy five different properties and 1031 into those properties? So the reason I brought up the three T's is title matters. Title has to stay the same when you sell and then when you buy, right? So you can't switch things around in between. Now you're getting into kind of a special situation where we have some things that we can do in the 1031 world, but it gets a little complicated. Let's try to let's try to keep it simple. But yes, there are a lot of ways that five people can go into different properties or all do a 1031 exchange and kind of go their separate ways. There's some things that people can do. Okay, maybe we'll maybe we'll be able to get into that later. So we're talking about the three T's right now, right? Right. And if I'm if I'm a property owner, I sell that property. I was the only person who owned that property. I owe capital gains tax, but I file for a 1031 tax exchange. Now, what do I actually what do I have to do to be able to ensure that that money goes into the next investment? Right. So in order to do a 1031 exchange before you close on the what we call the relinquished property, so the property that you're going to sell, you want to do a 1031 exchange. You have to indicate that you want to do that before you sell the property. And how do you do that? What that means, you sign a document that says, I'm doing a tax deferred exchange. You sign that agreement with a qualified intermediary, someone like me. Okay. I can send you those documents. You sign those over. I have to be in touch with your closing agent because what's actually happening is on close of your relinquished property, 100% of those proceeds need to pass to the qualified intermediary. You are not allowed to touch them. Okay. That's, you know, you've heard of co-mingling before. We don't want you co-mingling your funds within your own accounts kind of thing. It's like goes to a qualified intermediary. They keep it in a separate bank account for you. You then tell the qualified intermediary where you want those funds to go. So I never get to touch them. I never get to touch them. Doesn't touch your bank account. Doesn't get handed to you in a check. 100% must go to a qualified intermediary to be a valid 1031 exchange. What happens if I do touch them? It's not a 1031 exchange. It's a taxable event. 
So the moment I touch them, I'm paying capital gains tax. There's like no, no go backs, no take backs on that one. Well, you know, we could, uh, <laughs> we could get into the tax code a lot, but uh, a lot of what that really means is, um, you know, it depends on if you get audited or not. There's been plenty of uh, tax evasion and fraud that have taken place, but I am not liable for your taxes. I'm there to provide that service that is available to you in the tax code. But if you were to take that and report that you did something else, et cetera, um, that's on you. If you get audited, you're you're taxed, and then you're also fined. You know, if you're if they yeah. find that you're trying to get away with something. But there have been people who've done some interesting things and not been audited, and you know, got away with it. I guess you could say so. We won't say any names, <laughs> but but for the the law is you cannot touch those funds. If you touch them, you're paying capital gains tax. Right. It, it really just long. really just you have to play the game, the 1031 okay. game. And that means using a qualified intermediary. OK, so that money goes to uh, a QI, right? A qualified intermediary. They mm-hmm. hold them in in some sort of escrow account. Mm-hmm. And now what do I got to do? So now you're you're looking for property. Okay, you're how long do I have to find them? So there are, there are two uh, two timed events within the 1031 exchange. Both of them start on the closing date of the property you sold. Okay. So when that escrow closes and the money passes to the QI, that's when your timer starts and there's two dates. 45 day and 180 day. Okay. Okay. 45 day is the days you have to identify. And that that's a pretty important one, but really identification is just putting addresses on paper or parcel numbers or however you're saying, I intend to purchase this property. And you can identify up to three of those properties, three properties without penalty. And you only have to close on one of them. So you get yourself three options, you know, three possibilities that you're looking for, and you're good to go. You are also not restricted from purchasing and closing on a property within those 45 days. I've had many, many people do that. They sold their property. And while it was under contract, while it was still in escrow, they were looking for a replacement property. They got under contract with the replacement property before their relinquished one even sold. That's okay. Because okay. you know they had them both at 30 days or something like that to close. So close one, one day, you know, five days later, they're ready to close the next one. I just wire the funds over there and they close. So they're closed in five days. There's no restrictions on when you can start looking. Okay. Okay. So I can identify up to three addresses. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain type of address? Like, is there, what can those new investments not be? Good question. Um, so we, the, you often hear this um, called a like kind exchange. And one thing that I've seen some people get confused on is they think like kind means I have to buy the same type of property. Um, and that's not the case. So they think, oh, I sold a single family residence. I need to buy a single family residence. Not not the case. Anything that is real property with title attached to it, you can exchange into. Okay. So if you sell a single family, you can buy a duplex, you can buy an apartment building, you can buy raw land. Um, you can sell raw land and, and buy a warehouse, an office building, um, as long as it's real property. And the reason it said like kind was because you used to be able to exchange businesses for businesses and property for property. The business one has gone away. It's only property for property now. And so that's why if I'm in an LLC with four other guys and I own 25%, I can't just 1031 into a different property because I owned a business and now I'm investing in real property. You can't do that. Is that correct? No, I wouldn't go that far because you will. You can use a... I mean, so when it was business for business, a lot of it was inventory for inventory. For okay. example, they would sell 20, 20 cars 
and replace them with 2021 cars. They do a tax deferred exchange on all those those vehicles in the car lot, okay. if you're a car dealership or a large company. You know, they can do those things. So there's there were a lot of those things. Now it's just property for property. So if you're in an LLC and you and four other guys own a property as an LLC, so you're a 20% partner, as you can buy another property, but the whole LLC needs to buy that other property. So you okay. still need to be a 20% owner under the same ABC LLC, whatever you call it, that can't change, right? So you need to go purchase that other property with your buddies again. So you're married to that LLC. That's been your tax paying entity. That's what you're going to have to pay taxes on when you do an exchange. After a period of time, after you've exchanged, you can change that entity. You can, your buddies buy you out. Um, There's a lot of things you can do. But how I look at it is maybe this would be the, the easiest way to understand what holds title. The LLC holds title. So the LLC has to hold title on the other side. Okay. Right. And that's really all it is. What's title? What's the title holder? And then that's, that's what needs to hold it on the other side. Okay. So let's get back to that individual investor with the individual property, right? So sold property, got a profit, don't want to pay taxes. I filed, I signed the paperwork with with a person like yourself to do a 1031 exchange. The profits went to a QI. They're being stored in an account. Mm-hmm. I have 45 days to identify the, pro- the like properties, which is essentially another investment property. Mm-hmm. And you said, I have 180 days to close on one of them. Correct. Well, you just have to tell us what you want to do. You could close on all three of them. If your intention is to buy all three properties with the proceeds, that's completely up to you. Okay. So okay. you can identify up to three. You only need to close on one. You do need to use a hundred percent of your proceeds and replace all of the value that you sold for. So another another issue that comes up with people is the debt and equity of, hey, I'm doing this 1031. I have this much debt left, yada, yada. I just go back to the simplest way we can think about this. If you sold for 500,000, doesn't matter how much debt you have, doesn't matter how much equity you have, you need to purchase something for 500,000 or more. Okay. You're replacing, you need to use all of the equity, all of the cash you have in the property, and you need to replace the debt. Okay. So you need to level up pretty much. Pretty much. That's what it's there for. Okay. So as far as the 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 three properties that I can or the three addresses I can identify, because this is a question I, I do not know the answer to, and I'm hoping I'm hoping we can get something uh going on this. Can I buy a portfolio of multiple properties as one of my addresses? So there are some that on title they have it's an apartment building, but it has the address nineteen hundred through nineteen thirty or something like that, for example. That is one address, it's one building, it's one parcel, um, but you're identifying it that way. That's fine. I mean, it's really like I said, comes down to title. What is the title to? It's to a entire plot, an entire building, not necessarily a condo. Always going back to title how you're identifying things. An address suffices, but you know, if you're looking to do a portfolio of single family residences, for example, that all have different parcels, you can do that, but we need to play a different 1031 game where you're now purchasing more than three properties, which you okay. can do. So I now- I not know that. That's good yes. news. That is good yes. news. <laughs> you can good. do that. It gets a little more complicated. So there's, there's the 95% rule and the 200% rule. If you identify four, or more properties, you get into those two rules. And the first rule is the 200%. So you can identify as many properties as you want, as long as the value of all of those replacement properties is 200% and not greater than 200% of your relinquished value. Okay. 
So you can identify more than three addresses. Yes. So you either have to play by the 200% rule, which I just explained, or okay. the 95% rule, which says you need to close on 95% of the identified properties. So if okay. you sold a house or you sold a mansion or you sold for whatever reason you wanted to buy a million, you know, a hundred single family, you know, class C properties in a rental neighborhood, um, you can do that. You just need to make sure you just identify them and then you need to close on 95% of them or more. Okay. 180 days. I don't throw those rules at people right away. Yeah. Usually yeah. most people are within the three and that's all they need to think about. They don't need to try to get fancy, but we can do that if you need to. I don't think everybody has to understand. I just think they need to know that there's an option out there. If if you do yeah. want to buy a portfolio to speak to someone like you and figure out the details of that uh, when that time comes. Exactly. But for, for the everyday listener right now, we have 45 days of clo- to, to identify, 180 days to close. What happens if I need to file my taxes uh, for this fiscal year and it's before my 180 days is up? Does, do I, what do I do? That is an excellent question. You just need to ask for an extension because you're in an exchange. Because whether you succeed or fail in that exchange is going to affect your taxes. So do not file your taxes because you would be filing as a successful or failed exchange. And that makes a difference. Okay, so if, if it's don't don't file your taxes. Wait. If it's if it's tax season's coming up, and I'm in the middle of a 1031 tax exchange, and I do file my taxes, I've pretty much canceled the exchange. Correct. You're you're going to be in for um, a roller coaster. Just file for an extension. Make yeah. sure I've got the time. Okay. Yeah. And Perfect. remember that only goes that starts from that closing date again. So let's say you you know if you're December 25th, you're closing on Christmas. And you want to file and you're all the way into, you know, right now, you know, you're coming up on your 180 days, those taxes are due. Um, you you needed to file for an extension by now. However, if you close January 1st, you're good because this is this is for 2021. So you don't have to file those until 2022, right? Oh, okay. Just that that's when your your closing date is what matters for your tax. Okay. Awesome. And so what happens? What what happens if uh I've got my money in the uh, intermediary account and I have within that 45 day period, I have a family emergency. Can I go get those funds out? So here's what we have available. Um, If you do not identify anything, you identify zero properties. You're basically saying, I don't want to play this game anymore. The 45th day comes and passes. I don't try to push people to identify before day 45. Like, let's get you within day 45 because you never know what'll, what'll happen. I've had people literally identify in the 11th hour on day 45 and have successfully exchanged. But if you decide not to do that, something happens, you really just need the money. And that has happened. Uh, it happened last year um, with the crisis, right? So if you don't identify anything on day 45, I can send you your money back on day 46. Okay. What happens if I have an emergency on day five of the, like the funds have been transferred five days in, I've got an emergency. I need to get that money out. Are you allowed to give it back to me? Um, It would, it would depend on some things, but we could certainly talk about what that situation is. And if we needed to wait until day 46 uh, or what. It's, it's pretty hard though, right? Like you, it's not just common practice. Hey, I don't want to do the exchange anymore. Can you give me my money back? You 
pretty the QI is got some legalities to jump through if they really 100%. need hundred percent. Yeah. So just be aware of that. Like you, once you start that 45 day process, it is a 45 day process. You can't just pull your money out very easily for sure. I'm not even, I've been told by a couple of people that it's, it's pretty much, you can't, uh, right. they cannot relinquish it legally. So you're waiting that 45 days to get it back or you're closing on a new property, correct? Within 180 days. Right. And that's the other thing too. If at day 45, you've identified something, um, you've identified three properties and for whatever reason, you can't get any of them closed. Someone else bought them. You lost out on the bid, something like that. Um, I can't give your money back to you until day 181 because I have to give you the benefit of the doubt to still be able to purchase those properties. Oh, so it's locked in for six months if uh, if you do not. Okay, interesting. That's why I got my money back because I, I did a 1031 tax exchange uh, or I filed for one. And how, by the way, how much does a 1031 tax exchange roughly cost to file and execute? Every qualified intermediary is going to have different fees. Um, sometimes it will depend on the current market. <laughs> like right now, we've had to change our fees. So I don't I'm happy to consult and give someone our fees based on their situation today. But with the whole 1031 industry being crazy right now, we've, we've had to change that. So I don't want to tell someone my price uh, today because that may change tomorrow with everything. But um, you know, you're looking, give or take, probably $1,000 to okay. do a one-to-one exchange. I know that we charge like 250 bucks more if you're going to buy two properties. Or if you're going to sell two properties to buy one, if you're going to consolidate, um, it's just $250 for an additional property to be added to that exchange. Okay. So roughly a thousand dollars. And it was recommended to me by a mentor of mine, like just, f- just pay the thousand uh, dollars, file for the 1031 tax exchange. Cause you never know what opportunities are going to come up. Yep. Uh, I ended up identifying properties that I wanted, but I never actually filed for that. And when they fell through the 45th day on the 46th day, got the money back, but now I owe capital gains, which to me, it was worth the thousand dollars spent because one, where does that money comes out of your proceeds, right? It's not like out of pocket for the most part. Right. It's it's you know, it's it's separate escrow account. So it's getting pulled out of that escrow and then that fee's gone, right? You you used it to play the game, but the rest of the proceeds go right back to you. Okay, cool. So if you do get the money back on the 46th day, no harm, no foul. You're just paying your capital gains tax moving forward with your investments. Yeah. Hey, we had a failed exchange. We owe, et cetera. You know, you had to pay the fee, but it's uh, when you're playing with large sums of, of money on some of these properties, $1,000 is a very cheap dice roll. The only time I'll tell people it's not worth doing a 1031 is if you do a quick calculation on your capital gains and it just doesn't make sense. You're only going to pay a few thousand in, in capital gains anyway. So you'd rather just pay it and not have the stress of dealing with the timeline. I'd say, yeah, man, that's fine. I, if you want to do that, more power to you because you can probably end up getting a better deal because you're not under the gun and you can you know, end up saving that money on the other side just by making a smoother purchase and not having to be under the gun. Okay. Perfect. So back onto the property types that I can now invest in with my money in the 1031 escrow account. Can You, you said I could potentially buy a portfolio. It's a little bit more complicated than, than the usual 1031 tax exchange. Can I use that money to do a fix and flip? Yes. So you can sell a rental property and purchase a fix and flip property. But there are certain, like I said, you want to have a timeline of holding a property because the IRS tax code for the 1031 stipulates that it's been held for a period of time. Now, the IRS doesn't specify exactly how long that time is. It just says a period of time and for investment or income purposes, right? What does that mean? 
It's a good question. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I am not a CPA and I am not a tax advisor. So I'm not going to tell you what that means. I know what other people have done. Um, I know what is the safest route to go. And I would say, hold it for a minimum of two years, a couple tax seasons, right? And you're good to go. The IRS is not worried about you selling it again and doing another 1031 after that. But if you did uh, sold your your rental property, you did a 1031 exchange into a fix and flip, and then you flip that and sold it within under a year. You haven't even you know paid taxes on holding that property. You would probably end up paying taxes on that again. And then you would pay the taxes from the rental property that you sold too, because it's I, only deferred taxes. So they follow you. So that was going to kind of um, be my next question. It, before we get to the next question, can I buy something with the intention to live in it? Yes. When do you want to live in it, though? So let, let's say let's say I'm I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm selling my my real estate portfolio. I want to move to my mansion in the hills. I sell everything. I've got all this money, and I can I ten thirty one from all of my investments into my final destination property and move into it and go live in it, or can I, do I have to do that, hold it for two years, live in it? Right. So the, the tax code stipulates that you need to be purchasing a property for income or investment purposes, right? So it, it can't be a personal residence, right? So the intention has to be there for income or for investment. However, if let's say, you know, you wanted to, to rent this place out, you couldn't get a renter, you know, you paid taxes on it as an income property, et cetera. It just didn't make the income and you decided, you know, I'm just going to retire and I'm going to, you know, move into this, this house I bought uh, as an investment property just because it works for me and make it a primary residence. Hey, after a period of time, as we, as we mentioned earlier, that's fine according to IRS standards, but it's a period of time and it's in, it depends on your intent. Okay. So it's the, it's the intention. Uh, for, and from my understanding, as long as you intend it to be a rental property, right? So you buy a fix and flip, you intend to rent it out, but it wouldn't rent whatever. So you say, okay, I made a bad decision. I'm going to sell it. And now you sell it. You can technically 1031 from that property into another one, as long as your original intention, which is hard to prove anyway, like what, like, what does that mean? But I think if you are a, a rule following tax paying American and you honestly intended to buy this as a rental state property and you can show that you wanted to do that, you are in the clear. But if you bought it to do a fix and flip and you were marketing it for sale before it was even completed, now you're pretty much throwing up red flags for the IRS to come to come check you out. Is that is that am I correct in saying that? Right. And so the best example I have is a friend of mine who was doing an exchange. He had a, I believe it was like a 15 unit apartment building uh, that he was renovating. He was actively renovate. He had renovated. He completed renovation. He was actively renting it out. And basically what happened is someone came by and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Okay. And they'd held this property. They reported taxes on it for one tax season, but they'd held it for less than a year. Okay. Right. It was an offer too good to refuse. They elected to do a 1031 exchange, which they did. And that is completely valid. They never marketed it. They never said, hey, this is for sale, newly renovated um, for this yeah. price. They, so they had all the backing with them. They had, hey, we you can see our advertisements for how we were renting this out. You can see that we didn't try to sell, sell this thing at all. So they had all the legal backing they needed to to say our intent was to hold this thing for an investment purpose, for an income purpose. But basically, we got an offer that was too good to refuse. And so we elected to do a 1031. So I want to transition from the 1031s into other things that you got going on. But to summarize that entire conversation, because I know 
know we, we we could talk for a week on on tax code 1031 exchanges all that stuff but correct me if i'm wrong on saying this it seems like 95 percent of the 1031 tax exchange is is in the gray but the things that are very hard lines are going to be don't touch the money 45 days to identify 180 days to close and then your intention has to be investment to investment, real property, real property. Would that sum it up pretty well? Do you got anything to add to that? I would, I would say, um, that's, that hits the nail on the head for the most part, play the game, how the IRS wants you to play the game. You know, your qualified intermediary is going to keep you in line with the rules. We have to report to the IRS as well. You know, we have to report your exchange to them. So everything, everything, you know, as long as you're getting a good QI, um, and they're guiding you through the process, that's a hundred percent what it's about is, play these rules. The rules aren't terribly complicated. They can get that way, but you do that and you're fine. Okay. So let's move in. Like it's still 1031 related, but what is, what's the point of doing this? Like what is the power um, of, of using the 1031 exchange to build your empire, your real estate empire? Like, can you give any examples of what you've seen happen? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, so the same story that I was kind of mentioning where someone did an exchange, elected to do an exchange in under a year, even though they reported taxes on it was one of those kind of gray areas, but they were able to take those proceeds because the offer they received was very nice. And like I said, they couldn't refuse it. They just said, oh, this is way better holding this thing. So we're going to take this and, and go move it into something else. They actually you know, were able to identify a better property, do their renovations on that. And I think their cash flow was double what they were going to get on the previous property. Okay. Um, so, you know, you, you also have to think about what is your, what is your intention to do um, real estate investment? Are you, are you going for cash flow? Are you just going for appreciation, kind of doing some value add stuff, um, holding for a couple of years, doing another exchange? Either way, the whole intent is to grow, grow your cash flow, grow your equity um, and keep building your portfolio. And you don't have to pay any taxes on those until you're ready to basically until you sell and decide to pay those taxes. And a lot of people will eventually like uh, whenever they're at the end of their lifespan, they can put that into a trust, transfer that trust to their children and defer the taxes pretty much inevitably, correct? And it's what um, that generational wealth that everybody talks about. That is a way to do uh, generational wealth. What happens is that tax basis that was following you as you were doing those exchanges gets reset when, it, when that property passes to the kids. So, hey, death and taxes are inevitable, but in some cases, not always taxes. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so so to kind of give an example, some of the things that I that that I've looked at when I was researching 1031 exchanges. If you are an investor and right now you're asking yourself, why would I sell a property right now if the market is hot? Because the market's hot pretty much everywhere right now. Why would I sell a property that's cash flowing that I have equity into instead of just holding on right now? and collecting the cash flow. Well, whenever uh, the power of a 1031 at least in my mind the way that I look at it is if you've got equity in a property, view that as your purchasing power for your next property. Mm -hmm. If you sell a property and you got to pay capital gains tax on it, all of that money that you spent in capital gains taxes is now not being used as your down payment on your next property. Today's lending environment, you can get uh, for investment properties, 20% down payment, 25% down payment. So let's say your taxes, the the taxes you have to pay the capital gains taxes, let's say it's $25,000. Well, if you're getting a 25% down payment, 
under next property, that additional tax is $100,000 in buying power. So every time you level up, and that's what we talked about leveling up, that money can be used towards your down payment and every $1 equals $4. So yes, that's the power. It's four times uh, the opposite, which would be paying your capital gains taxes than moving on. Everybody that I talk to and everybody that I, that I tell about doing 1031 is don't let the 1031 make you make a decision that you wouldn't make without the 1031. If it's a bad investment, don't make it just because you got to meet a 45-day identification period, 180-day close period. But if right. it works and the, the 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 timelines line up, it is probably one of the best tools that the government has given the real estate investor next to depreciation, right? So 100, 100% accurate. I mean, biggest thing that you have as a, as a real estate investor period is leverage. You're able to you know, back up that property that you're purchasing with debt. You don't have to purchase it purchase it 100% cash. Um, let's just take a simple example from what you were saying. You you have a property that you bought it at you know 250,000. Um, you bought it you know however long ago, five ten years ago. You bought it a little while ago, and it's now you know worth 500,000. You've paid your debt down a little bit, but you're now looking you know to pull 250,000 in equity out of that property easily, if not more. So let's just take that 250,000 in equity. You only have to purchase 500000 or more in property. You can leverage that up to a million dollars, right? Yeah. If you sold, you know, you sold your five hundred thousand dollar property at a ten cap, and you're buying your your million dollar property at a ten cap, what just happened to your cash flow? It doubled too. Yeah, you doubled your cash flow. Yeah, exactly. Doubled your cash flow. Now here's here's the neat part about that too. So okay, so you could do that. You could leverage up that way. The other thing that you can do is you can actually take on more debt. So let's say you wanted to buy another five hundred thousand dollar property just because it was available as a good deal. So sold one five hundred thousand dollar property, bought another one. Um, you still had over $250,000 in equity, but you just wanted to leverage that $500,000 property out. Let's say you're selling a duplex in California and you're buying a small apartment building in Georgia or something like that. You're just completely moving across states, which you can do with the 1031. Um, and you'll find, you know, you find an apartment building like that. You can take out that equity, right? Just by refining after close. So at close, you put all your money, all the debt you need into that property. You can close with hard money, something like that. You can refinance the day after, get a get a strong mortgage, interest only, whatever you wanted to do on that replacement property, pull that cash out. It's tax free. Tax free. No. <laughs> oh man. That doesn't bruise your bananas that bad, does no, it? No, no, no. That ripens my bananas right there. <laughs> that is not monkey business. Okay. I wanna I wanna state that again just to make Make sure you can basically 1031 out of something over leverage. So you don't, you're not putting down the minimum down payment, right? Now you've got equity in your new property. After you close, you do a cash out refi, get your equity back out. That money's in your pocket. You didn't pay capital gains taxes on it. That's right. Wowzers, dude. <laughs> Wowzers. That's a good one right there. And that's completely legal. hundred percent. Happens all the time. And you can also do a line of credit as well, right? If you, if you needed to. There's, there's a lot of things you can do. We do not care about the debt. You know, your debt is the tax advantage. The reason that money is tax-free is because it's debt. Okay. You put more debt on the property. You're taking some equity out to go do whatever with that's, that's tax-free. That's, that's been around for a long time. People who follow Robert Kiyosaki are probably more familiar with that. If you're a rich dad, poor dad fan. Um, but that's, that's how he talks about 
out all his tax-free money, right? He's actually just pulling it out from his real estate deals okay. by renewing the debt. So you do that and then you can go in and reinvest that money into something else. You can go buy your Maserati with that money or whatever you want to do. I've had people, and now obviously it's easier to pull that money out on an investment property, um, like an apartment building as well, because you're also can take that money and increase it through value add on an apartment building, for example, renovate all the units, increase rents. And then government's going to come back and look at look at your loan and say, oh, well, you know, you can you can take out this much more. So you can refi this much and pull this much out. Um, so you can actually do really, really well. I have a lot of people doing selling like a, a property, a single family or duplex small rental partnering up with other people, which you can do. There's, you know, we could get into the weeds on this one. Uh, I know we said we'd wait for another time, but you can 1031 into um, like a partnership with other people on title. And then they do the whole property for you. You're an investor in the property. Um, and then when they refi the property, they refi everybody because it's it's all based on the property. And then you can pull that money out. It's essentially, are you, are you doing a tenant in common at that point? That's exactly what it is. So, you know, we going back to the beginning, we talked about title. That's why you have to use tenants in common. Tenants in common is a title structure, right? If you're going, you can't change up an LLC. So I can't sell a property and go into, you know, what some people call a syndication because I would actually not be buying property. I'd be buying shares of an LLC. I'd be buying personal property, not real property. Okay. okay? So that's why you have to do tenants in common. But tenants in common allows you to carve out a percentage of the property. And it's not saying, oh, and you're only buying literally this section. So it doesn't parcel it out. It just gives you a percentage of undivided interest. And that allows you to fulfill your 1031 needs. It also allows you to sign on the debt. There's a lot of things that that's beneficial in, in doing. Um, and tenants in common has been around for a long time. And I, and I know we said we wouldn't uh, go too deep into the weeds, but this is actually for personal benefit. I am currently getting ready to purchase a hotel and we are looking at the entity structure. What I believe we want to do is purchase it under an LLC for liability purposes. But when we go to sell, do a quick claim deed as a tenant in common and then sell out so everybody can 1031 out. Is that legal to do? That is where I would get my attorney on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and say, how are you trying to do this? Yeah. So that, and I think as long as everybody from, from my understanding, this is me speaking to my attorney about it, cause this is kind of the scheme of maneuvers we've come up with purchase into an LLC. Everybody's 25% owner. If everybody agrees to transfer from the LLC into the, do the quick claim into our same pro rate of percentage ownerships as a tenant in common, as long as we do that before we sell on the title, it should say individual names on individual percentages. We sell. Now we have that much percentage of that property that we can 1031 into our own endeavors. We don't have to be married to each other. That's like in the works right now. So, so investigate it. I'm pretty sure it can be done. I, again, I'm not an attorney uh, and you're not a CPA, so don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet your bottom dollar on it, but look into it because I, I'm pretty sure that is uh, the way we're looking at going forward. I will back you up in saying there are a lot of very interesting things that can be done in a 1031 exchange. I mean, people have maybe heard about improvement exchanges, construction and changes, reverse exchanges. There's a lot of things that that you can do. And yeah, like you said, let's not get into the weeds because usually when that happens, now I just got people thinking way too far above yeah. what they need to do. And they're just like, no, let's just let's just do an exchange and, and defer those taxes. That's usually what most people need to do. Most people have to get a little fancy because there's legal issues involved or they want to, hey, I'm selling in my name, uh, but I need to purchase in an LLC. We do that all the time. Um, we'll just tell you have to how it has to be done for for tax purposes and uh, you know, you're, you're good to go. 
All right. Well, Nathan, you've made it where my bananas don't have to get so bruised anymore. I understand, like, I, I don't understand the tax code, but I do understand that there are tools out there for us investors. As long as we are keeping our capital in the investment world, then the government is happy. The moment we take it out for personal use, that's when they say, all right, come in to collect. You got to pay your taxes. And uh, and, and that, that's kind of the end of the road for us. And the, the, I think the last frontier is if you do want to create generational wealth, you could put it into a trust, transfer it to your children, reset that. What else? What are we missing here, Nathan? Like, tell us, tell us about yourself. Tell us a little bit about like your investment strategy. Let's wrap up the scenario on a good, or the, uh, the episode on a good note. And let's just learn a little bit more more about you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Um, before before we get off on me, what I'd really love to do is I'd like to share maybe... So this is, it's May 2nd as we're recording this, 2021. I want to tell people about what has been proposed by this current administration in terms of capital gains, in terms of 1031, and what they can do about it. So what has been proposed is that... Um, let me pull this up here. They're planning to raise the capital gains to what normally capped out federally federally at 20%, never went above that on the federal level. Now they're talking about bumping that up to 39.6%. So God. almost doubling that. That's so that is business. That's monkey business right there. That bruises my Well, business. now everybody will want to do an exchange, right? If it's, no. if it's 20% as a minimum versus versus 40, um, that, that's going to change. Now, all of these things are based off of income. Your capital gains rate is based off of what you've been making. Um, but here's the other kicker that really could hurt things is they're talking about repealing the 1031 or hamstringing it at least that you can no longer perform one if your gains are greater than 500 hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. Now to an individual, they're like, oh man, if I made $500,000 on a property, that'd be awesome. I'd probably be happy to pay those capital gains. But it also is unclear if that has to do with the joint venture or partnership, right? Or or does that, that amount yeah. pass through to the individual? If you're in a syndication, for example, um, and the entire syndication wants to exchange, maybe that doesn't allow them to. A lot of them don't want to anyway. They like to just you know divide the, the proceeds um, on sale. That's where they get their bump. But these things are under scrutiny, attack, if you will. Um, these things are changing. Um, and as board level members and members of the Federation of Exchange Accommodators, there's a really easy way that you can just do something about that. And that's go to 1031taxreform.com slash take dash action. So 1031taxreform, all one word, dot com slash take dash action. And right there, you can just, it will already send a, a message, an email to your US Senator and representatives. Um, if you just want to put in your name and your information, so it sends it to the right one, click send done easy. Um, and that's a good way that we can just say, hey, you know, what this really does is it just hamstrings a lot of people from wanting to actually sell, you know, and people who want to sell or how people buy. Um, and if everybody's just going to be holding on to these things for cash flow. Um, we're not going to have these opportunities as investors in the future like we like we do today. Um, and I know that real estate has pulled a lot of people uh, out of poverty. It has built that generational wealth. And that's one thing that we have as Americans that not everybody enjoys in other parts of the world. Yeah, private property. The, uh, the moving around of money creates opportunities for everybody in the country. So uh, the moment that stuff sits, sits stagnant, so will our economy. Mm -hmm. That is no good. All right. Well, so that's 1031taxreform.com forward slash take tax action, correct? Take dash action. Dash action.
Okay, cool. Nathan, uh, what else can we learn about? How can we get a hold to you? What should we get a hold to you for other than 1031 tax? I think it's clear we should definitely get a hold to you for 1031 tax changes. Anything else you got going on that you want to put out there? Well, hey, I'm here to help you guys in any way. Um, I mentioned earlier, I, I'm an investor myself. I'm also a broker and licensed in the state of California and Georgia. Um, but my bread and butter is doing a lot of exchanges and a lot of investment work for um, larger corporations, but also myself and, and a group of friends. Um, and I do a lot of 1031 exchanges for people because I love helping people save money on taxes and I love real estate. Uh, I qualify myself as a real estate professional, which really is just a fancy way of saying I look at real estate all day long. Right. Awesome. Um, and that's what I do. So if you want to, if you have any questions, I'm happy to send people. I'll give you a 15 minute consult on your exchange that you're doing. Um, email me my my first name, Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N at AA1031.com. I'll send you a link. We can uh, schedule a 15 minute conversation, talk about your exchange. And then it's really easy to get your exchange started with me. You just connect me with your closing agent um, and we'll get all the paperwork put together for you and handle it all electronically. It's pretty simple. All right, Nathan. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on to the show, not giving us any of the monkey business, actually keeping us in tune to some of the monkey business that they got going on with uh, trying to raise capital gains and, and get rid of one of really the, the biggest tools that makes it uh, being a real estate investor worth doing so. So uh, thank you for making all of all of our listeners abreast of that. Uh, give us the information on 1031s and uh, glad to have you, man. Ramsey, thank you for having me on. Um, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash gorillastatepod.